The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Bible. The big numbers are the chapter numbers, chapter 1. The small numbers are the verse numbers. We'll be in chapter 1, verse 3, page 939 of the Blue Bible. So uh, keep that handy. You know, just one more word. Uh, Judy, my uh, our secretary, office manager, who keeps all things running around here, I'm sure, uh, reminded us that tomorrow the office will be closed. So if you want to come and play Monopoly with us, we won't be here because that's what we do in the office, I'm sure, all the time. We never do any work around here at all. So, but uh, in all seriousness, the office will be closed tomorrow. Um, I will have my cell phone on me, so if you need me, it's in the bulletin just as a matter of record keeping. Well, thank you for visiting this morning. We know there's many places you could have gone, many things you could be doing. Uh, there's many things you could be do, eating or feasting over. So thank you for sharing a little bit of time on your Easter with us this morning. I, I just want to start off by telling you that this sermon came together through various means. This sermon, as we often do, is a sermon given with two purposes in mind. It is, if you're not a Christian here today, this sermon is to uh, let you know about why we believe what we believe. And also to share that truth with you. If you're a Christian, it's to shore up, to reassure for you why we believe and why we don't believe some things that we do. So I thought I'd start out with something we probably all will agree with to, to begin with, and that is The Wizard of Oz. So how many of you have seen The Wizard of Oz movie? Uh, I'm looking at generations of movie watchers since 1930s here. Um, some of you remember when it wasn't even uh, color yet. It was all in black and white and some grayish green or whatever that was. But if you remember the story of Wizard of Oz, the Dorothy from Kansas and her dog Toto and Tin Man and Lion and seems like I'm forgetting someone and Scarecrow, they all came together to get to the Emerald City. They were trying to find their way to this great Emerald City with the great Wizard of Oz. And they're trying to figure out who is this Wizard of Oz. And they finally get to his castle, his palace. And it all depends on this great Wizard of Oz. And he shows up as a big face, if you remember the movie. And uh, he says, I'm the Wizard of Oz or something like that. And he arrests their attention. And all the while, little Toto, little dog Toto, just runs off as any good dog usually does and runs off behind a curtain. And what happens? Do you remember the end of the story? Toto ends up going to a place where there's this man, and you see him up on the screen, shifting levers and gears as they only could do in a 1930s movie, and it makes it look real. And Toto finds that the Wizard of Oz is actually a man behind a curtain who's very skilled at moving levers at the right time. And he has a famous saying he says, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. You ever heard that before? Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. There were no special powers. There was no giant head. It was just a guy behind a curtain pulling levers and pushing buttons. Friends, that's how many people come to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They believe, as many in the Emerald City did, that there is this person behind Christianity, pulling levers at just the right time, pushing buttons, and there's this great illusion going on in front of you when the reality is there's a guy named Jesus who died a long time ago who never came back again. That's how many people see the resurrection. Is that true? Am I just, one, am I just the Wizard of Oz for Tower View behind the curtain? Wouldn't that be great? A curtain entrance every week and, and open the gates and do those sorts of things so that you might believe that the resurrection is true. But friends, we are not here today to say that the resurrection is all smoke and mirrors. The resurrection is either fully truth or it's not. Well, Darren, can't I just believe what I want to believe? I mean, can't you believe your part? And if I want to believe the resurrection, great. But if I don't, then okay. But if you want to believe it, well, wonderful for you. Great, awesome, go and do that. Friends, 1 Corinthians fifteen nineteen, as you'll see up on the screen, says it this way. If in this life only we have hope in Christ. We are of all people the most miserable of men. There's very little debate that there's a man named Jesus who lived. There's, there's some wacko scholars out there who will debate that. There's very little debate that there's a man, Jesus, who died on a cross. What it comes down to is the question that many of us ask. Is Christianity just a smoke and mirrors, a guy pulling levers to make it all look like it goes together? Or did it actually happen? 
Was there actually someone there? Or is it just someone behind the curtain that says, pay no attention to what's going on over here. Be dazzled by that over there. Friends, this morning, what we would like to do is ask the question, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Did he? If he did, how does that impact our lives? I mean, you're here on a Sunday morning. For most of you, this may be an odd routine. You have a young guy like me talking to you whose pants are a little wet from uh, uh, dunking someone in a bathtub back in the back. I mean, if you're not a Christian, that that looks a little funny. I, I, I arrest that attention. But the question is, if Christ is risen, then nothing that we did here is funny. It's actual seriousness and truth, isn't it? So how do we handle that? Friends, the big idea, and if you're visiting with us, the big idea is kind of a rifle shot, uh, uh, kind of summary of the sermon is simply this. Jesus' resurrection, until it's believed, you can't be and aren't a biblical Christian. And until it's presented, the gospel hasn't been fully proclaimed. There are many people walking around saying, yes, I believe Jesus died for me, but I'm not sure about that whole resurrection thing. The point is, if you don't have a historical, bodily, literal, physical resurrection, then you can't be a Christian, period. Whoa, that's really big. But Darren, I can be a Chiefs fan even when I don't like them, but when they win, I become their fan. Yes, you can be, but you can't be a fair-weather Jesus fan. You can't like Jesus when things are going your way and hate him when things are not because you would fall into that trap of the emerald city Jesus that we saw. Friends, so four questions this morning we're going to answer. First off, why is it important that you believe the resurrection? We kind of answered that just a minute ago. That's our shortest point. I'm speaking both to non-Christians and Christians here. The second is, what is our caution for the resurrection? And Christians, I want to specifically speak to you about this. Third question we want to answer is, what does the resurrection prove? That's both a non and a Christian question. And then finally, specifically for our non-Christian friends today, what historical evidence is there that Jesus actually rose from the dead? Guys, let that filter through your your human ears for just a second. We worship a guy from Nazareth 2,000 years ago that we say rose from the dead. And if you're like most people in the first century, you would look at that if you're not a Christian and say, really? Yes, really. And let's talk about why. If you join me in standing, and we stand in honor of, God, honor of God's word, we'll do that this morning. I just want to read Romans 1, 3, and 4, and we'll be flipping our Bibles through the rest of the time as we read. Romans 1, 3, and 4 this morning. Again, page 939 of the Blue Bible. And the Bible says this, Paul writing to the church at Rome, he says, Concerning this son who was descended from David according to the flesh, And was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. C.S. Lewis has famously said that Jesus is either a liar, he was lying through his teeth like no one else could lie and make it all happen. He is a lunatic, he was really just a crazy, crazy guy, or he's the Lord. Friends, that's the question. If you're not a Christian here today, you need to answer. But if you are a Christian, you already know the answer to that question, don't you? He's not a liar. He's not a lunatic, but he is the Lord. That's right. Let's bow our heads as we pray this morning. Father God, as we examine four common but very necessary questions this morning, I pray that your spirit would awaken hearts, both Christian and non, especially for those without Christ, to see the need for Christ. Lord, that's something only you can grant. But equally, Lord, we pray for Christians that this would not just be another check mark on a holiday weekend. But, Father, as we remember what Christ did and what he actually did, that, Lord, we would be ever praiseful for what you have done for us in Christ. Father, we know that Muhammad is dead, Buddha is dead, Confucius is dead, Zoroaster is dead, Marietta Baker, Joseph Smith. Uh, Father, every other person is dead, but Christ is alive, and he's alive indeed. May your truth through your Son be preached today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we come to this time, I just want to just answer these questions as we go through, is why is the resurrection so important? And I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles with me as we do this, because it's, it's, it's something that I think we can't just get from one scripture, although there is scripture, but we need to ask those questions. So, friends, the, it really comes down is why is it so important? Why is it that Christians for 2,000 years have said, a dead man lives again? Why is it for 2,000 plus years that Christians have been willing to give their lives for this? I mean, I don't know about you. I love sports. If you're visiting with me, all the other people know this. But I, I, I don't know if I'd give my life to sacrifice on the altar of the Royals winning a World Series again, as great as that would be. I don't know if I'd give my life 
to, to see Missouri basketball, who just got the number one top-rated blue-chip recruit for their team next year. I don't know if I'd give my life to go to every single game and then just take my life because I've seen glory. I, I, I don't count that as that. Whatever your top thing is, why then is the resurrection of Jesus Christ so important? You know, some people believe in the resurrection. Some people say, well, didn't Jesus just rise again in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit? I mean, didn't he just get empowered by the Spirit, and he just had this, like, super body for a while, and then he passed away again? Some Christians believe that. There are some Christians who believe, yes, I believe in the resurrection, but it's just a big symbol. It's kind of like when you go to McDonald's, and you see the, what, what do they have? That great M, right? At golden arches, that's right. Is the resurrection just the golden arches of Christianity? Well, friend, the Bible says that we have to make a choice of that. We have to decide, is this just something that I believe because it's cultural, that's what my mama, my dada, my grandpa, my papa, or grandma, whatever taught me, or is this actual truth? That's how important it is. Because if Jesus Christ is not raised from the dead, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die. In other words, go down to the electric tattoo shop at the corner of uh, 48th and Randolph and tattoo yourself up, go get uh, busted every night, and live it up. Why? Because there's no reason to if Jesus hasn't come back. And that's why I invite you to 1 Corinthians 15 as you turn there. 1 Corinthians 15 this morning. And I just want to bounce around the scripture because, friends, it's so important to know why or this is not important, or it is. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that's 961 of the Pew Bible. I'm going to start reading in verse 12 as you're moving. You can catch up as we do. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if the tru- it's true that the dead are not raised. For the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. And verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. For all my Star Trekky fans out there, that word futile is what the Klingons used to say to the Star Trek people, and you're going to be obliterated. Your efforts are futile. Friends, without the resurrection of Christ, everything we do is futile. It's meaningless. It's nothing. But what you need to see is it's not just about the cross, although it is. We should preach the cross. That should be center in what we do. But it's also the resurrection. Someone can say, well, I I believe that Jesus died for my sins, but I don't believe Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, Darren, I mean, you're saying it. That sounds pretty crazy. Friend, if you're here today, and you don't believe that, you cannot consider yourself to be a Christian. You cannot. That's a hard truth, isn't it? But that's a biblical one. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God, what? Raised him from the dead. You will be saved. But in our postmodern world, we often hear this very thing. It says, uh, uh, you know, it basically comes back to say, whatever you believe is good, just believe it sincerely. Well, I sincerely believe that I will lift a thousand pounds. That doesn't mean I'm going to lift a thousand pounds in my puny little state. That's true. I would probably be dead, and and, and that would be the end of it. You'd need to find a new pastor. (laughs) Friends, and the faith lesson that you'll show up on the screen is simply this. Without the resurrection, the church is just a styling country club going to hell, if I can use that word. Think about that. We're just another social club. With respect, we're, we're the Kiwanis, we're the Rotary Club, we're the Science Olympiads, we're the, uh, the Royals are going to win the World Series every year club that meets once a year, you know, that sort of thing, whatever it is. Without the resurrection, everything we do here is just hot air. Everything we say here is meaningless. Everything we put here has nothing behind it. But friends, that is just it. The church isn't just a style and country club going to hell. The church is the living uh, example of Christ himself. As he rose, so we will rise. See, Darren, where's the proof? Well, hold your hat. We'll get there. But you need to know that without the resurrection, it means nothing. 
my senior thesis speech at William Jewell College was dealt on this very thing. And I've shared this before for you church members, but I, my defense of the resurrection had to be 20 minutes, and I had 20 minutes. I received the worst grade I ever received outside of coaching basketball. Never take that class, by the way. It's one of the toughest classes you can take. But these professors who were so bent on disproving Christianity, D, C, C minus, terrible delivery, terrible arguments, terrible everything, terrible this, terrible that. But the one thing they all agreed on was, yes, Darren, you're right. If the resurrection is true, then that changes how I live, and that changes how we operate here, and that changes everything in this world. Friends, Satan likes to attack us on many grounds. Satan likes to tell us that the word of God isn't enough. That was the first lie, wasn't it? Did God really say? Satan likes to attack who Jesus is. Satan would have you believe in Jesus so long as you don't believe he rose from the dead. Jesus would attack also, or Satan would attack that also that Jesus alone saves you. Because if Satan can get you to believe that Jesus isn't enough, then you don't have to believe anything else. Satan would attack the very resurrection because if Jesus never came back from the grave, Satan himself, who we believe is a real one, would have won the day. Friends, the resurrection is utterly important because everything hinges upon it. That's the first question. Why is the resurrection so important? Secondly, what is our caution? See, Darren, if the resurrection is true, shouldn't we throw caution to the wind? Yes and no. But I want to especially speak to you Christians here today. As I was preparing this, this question actually came in from one of our neighborhood friends. Maybe they're here today. I don't know. But this question came in from one of our neighborhood guests. And what I want to remind you is in the book of Acts, if you'll go to Acts chapter 26, Acts chapter 26, a couple books back to the left, Acts 26, 9. Paul was speaking in defense of the resurrection before King Agrippa. And he said this, Acts 26 and verse 9. Actually, verse 8, I apologize, verse 8. This is Paul, the apostle, who in Acts chapter 9, we believe, was arrested, knocked off his horse by this resurrected Jesus. And he said in Acts 26 and verse 8, he said, Why is it thought incredible by any of you that God raises the dead? Paul was speaking to a group, a mixed group of people, much like ourselves today, some who believed the resurrection, some who did not. And he looked at this and he said, why is it impossible for you to believe this? And friends, the strange thing that happens today, happens back then, is that Paul never used Josh McDowell, Lee Strobel's, Dr. R.C. Sproul's 10 reasons why you should believe the resurrection. He just simply asked a question. Why is it difficult for you to believe this very thing? But we live in a day and age, don't we, where it's strange for people to believe in miracles. It's strange for people to believe in all sorts of things. Uh, we were talking in our Sunday school class about this, but you know, people will say, Darren, I don't believe miracles happen. And then they go and they, they talk to their kids about the tooth fairy who comes down and gives them a dollar when they lose a tooth. Or baseball players. We have uh, Nick Ufferman usually set up front. Brother, I don't know where you're at. Nick, baseball players do this, don't they? They get in the playoffs. They don't shave their beards because they think if they shave their beards, they're going to lose, right? Sometimes, yes. He does, yes, they, sometimes they do. Or they don't wear the same color socks every time because they believe those socks, as smelly as they are, are their good luck charm to get them to win the next game. We're superstitious more in our culture than we know. So what is our caution? If you're a Christian here today, the caution is to not forget that the miracle that you know the resurrection, Christian, is not ten historical reasons to know Jesus. It comes and is revealed to you, as Amy will put up there, by the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. Friends, you believe the resurrection not because I argued you into it. You believe the resurrection, Christian, because God saved your soul, and you believe that. Don't forget that. Not because there are piles of evidence, and by golly, there are piles of evidence. If you get a chance to watch the Case for Christ movie that came out the last couple weekends about Lee Strobel, the former journalist who became a Christian, you do it. But the world looks at this and says, that's dumb. How can you believe in a resurrection? Christian, we do need to stand up and give historical reasons. We'll get there in a minute. But Christian, I want you to remember that no one is going to be argued into the faith of Christianity. Because if I can argue them into the faith of Christianity, they can be equally argued out by another better argument when someone comes along. 
what we need to realize and what we need to remember is that the historical facts of the resurrection are not our foundation. The foundation is, is that there are miracles, and if there are miracles, there is a God, and if there is a God, that he is capable of doing the greatest thing ever, such as raising his son up from the grave. Christian, the power is in the gospel and the Holy Spirit working through it. When the apostles preached, they didn't use arguments. They used Christ and Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians 2, 1-5 says that, Paul says, I came to you with much trembling and I preached Christ crucified so that your faith wouldn't be founded on the, the knowledge of man but by the Spirit's power. If you're a Christian here today, that should be great relief to you. Because Paul was one of the smartest guys ever to walk on the face of this earth. You all are pretty smart. I'm not. And I realize that. Paul was smarter than smart. He was street smart. He was book smart. He was life smart. But Paul looked at the resurrection as a caution and said, Christians, beware. You can't argue anyone into the faith. Only Christ can do that. It should be a great relief for you, Christian, today. You don't have to be brilliant to follow Christ. Amen? And if you are brilliant and you follow Christ, praise the Lord. But it's not your brilliancy that saves people. Let me give you an example. You know, this guy uh, on the screen here is laying down. He's dead. Uh, you can't see it, but he's dead. He's not just half dead, part dead. Man, he's dead. He's deader than a doornail, okay? And if I come up and picture this man's up here on our, our great memorial table here, and I say, hey, dude. Let me give you 10 reasons why the historical resurrection is true. Are you ready? Number one, there was an empty tomb. Number two, what? what why aren't you answering me? Come on, come on. You would look at me like I am the most crazy guy ever to walk out of any place you've ever seen, wouldn't you? Why? That man is, he's dead. Friends, you can't argue historical facts to a dead person. If you're a Christian here today, let us be reminded that we are all spiritually dead outside of Jesus Christ. We are dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses. There's nothing I can do to argue that dead man into heaven. He's dead. He's deader than a doornail. You know, our, 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 our Scarlet, uh, uh, she found a worm the other day. She loves worms now. She gross old worms, you know. She had it on a stick, and Natalie's seen these photos, and she's holding a worm, and Yesterday, the worm uh, had kind of dried out overnight. It had died. And at, in three years old, we, we don't quite get what dead is. And she goes, uh, I finally put him in the grass. And, and she came upstairs, Natalie, and said something to the effect, my worm is dead. My worm is dead. She was so excited about it. <laughs> and she got that that worm had oozed out all of its worm stuff and dried up his nasty, gross, and everything. He was dead. If Scarlet went up to him with the stick and said, wake up, wake up, wake up, it's dead. Even kids get this. Christians, you need to realize and remember that Ezekiel 37 reminds us that it is the Spirit who gives life. If you're not a Christian here today, you say, Darren, I want to know the historical facts. We'll get there. But if you're not a Christian here today, I cannot argue you into heaven. I cannot take you to a place of decision by presenting the facts to you. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, the third person of the Trinity, fully God, has to work that in your heart. That's the power of the gospel. That is the power of the gospel. That is our caution. And a couple other notes on this. Look, I'm not against evidence. I, I'm studying my doctorate in evidence and apologetics and all those things. But we need to remember, Christian especially, that the power of God is not in how eloquent you say the words in, your, in our canned gospel presentations. The power is when God saved your soul. If you think back to when you were saved, you weren't saved because someone showed you the right evidence. You were saved when God came like a ball, you know, a big old ball pit knockdown thing, boom, and knocked out your pride, and you saw Jesus for who he was. That's why people aren't saved by studying legal and historical evidence. They're saved by sharing the gospel, Christian. That's why you can walk down as a missionary to the, the, to the most wicked place and keep preaching faithfully and faithfully and faithfully, knowing this one fact, that at some time God's going to bring someone out of there to be a Christian. If you're not a Christian here today, my goal is not to argue you into heaven. My goal is to argue that you need to know and cry out to God as her son. Her son, we talked about this, brother, didn't we, for a long time. We t her son is one of the smartest young men I know. And if I can share this, brother, her son had the head knowledge up here. But it took a while for God to hit your heart. And, and you went home, brother, and you shared. And you said, I went home, and I just, I just said, God, <laughs> if you're real, answer my prayer. 
or something like that. And he did. He's here today as evidence that God did that. Friend, how do you explain the gospel to those in the tribal villages without evidence? You go down to the most remote parts of Africa or South America. How do you know they know the resurrection? They, have, they don't know a lick about the empty tomb. All they know is that they have a Savior and his name is Jesus and he's alive because he talked to him this morning. Christian, that's the same for you. You know, it's so true that our faith in the resurrection is because of the regeneration and illuminating work of the Holy Spirit. How are you saved, Christian, if you're saved today? You're not saved because a pastor led you in a prayer. You're not saved because someone twisted your arm to come to Christianity. You're saved because the divine Holy Spirit wrecked your world in a way that you've never seen before. That's the amazing thing. That's how you know you're a Christian. How do those people way out in the bush know that they're Christians? They know because Christ has saved them. They can't, they can't give you any arguments for the resurrection. All they know is, is Christ saved them, and that's enough for them. So friend, let me just share this, and I'll, we'll move on. But our faith is not built on our ability to make intellectual arguments. So much of Christianity is just if we can get these right facts to the right people and say it in the right way, Friends, our faith is built on a God who before the foundation of the world said, let it be so, and it was, and it was good. That is where our faith is built. And if you're not a Christian here today, thank you so much for coming. The greatest evidence we have of the resurrection is what the Russian soldiers of the World War II, Cold War era used to say. You know, they used to round up Christians by the, by the dozens, and they would beat them. They'd beat the Christians, they'd knock them out, they'd, they'd, they'd starve them for days and not give them water. And you know what the Russian soldiers said? And this is a true story. The Russian soldiers would often say, these people have been infected with the gospel of Jesus for which there is no cure. Wow. But wait, shouldn't they have just shared 75 reasons why Jesus came back from the dead and they would believe? Possibly. But it wasn't that that kept those people from being given up and saying, I give up. You know, Uncle, uh, Jesus, uh, I'll get rid of Jesus if you just stop beating me down. What kept them on there was the fact they knew that Jesus had saved them. What is our caution? Christian, our caution is to trust so much in facts that we don't leave room for the Holy Spirit to work in someone's life. That is our caution. Remember, the gospel is enough. The gospel is Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, used to step into the pulpit every Sunday. And uh, back then, and uh, I'm looking at like Nathan and others who go to seminary, you know this, they used to have spiral staircases that went up. Like it was almost walking one of those uh, tight ropes that a fireman walks. And Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, would often say this. He'd say, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. This was the best preacher of centuries gone by saying, I'm not good enough, but the Spirit is. Christian, as you go to your lunches afterwards with your family, have your historical evidence. Please have that. We'll get there. But remember, it's not your power that saves a person. It's Christ, and he saved you as evidence of that. So let's move on. Why is it important? Because it is truth or it's not truth. Secondly, why? what is our caution? Our caution is, is that we don't oversell what arguments can do. And finally, thirdly, what does this prove? What does the resurrection prove? I mean, really, what does the resurrection have to do with anything in my life? Friends, I want to first off tell you that the resurrection says this. If you'll flip back to Romans chapter 1, verse 3. Romans chapter 1, verse 3, if you have your Bible. The first thing the resurrection does for you, Christian, is this. It is a public declaration that Jesus is God's Son. Look back at Romans chapter 1 and verse 3. It says, concerning his son who descended from David according to the flesh, he was declared to be the son of God in power to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Friends, this is why we must preach both the cross and the resurrection. If you're a Christian here today, I want to remind you that God is not a lesser God in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just your homeboy. Jesus is not just your, uh, your, your whatever. Jesus is the Lord of lords and King of kings. That is what the resurrection proves. I have not seen, with respect, a Muslim friend come up and say, Muhammad lives, Muhammad lives, Muhammad lives. They believe Muhammad died hundreds of years ago. 
Buddhists believe uh, Buddha at the very last of his life said, strive without ceasing. Keep working hard. Keep doing the life so maybe you can get to nirvana someday or the, the highest of whatever. But Jesus said one phrase. He said, it is finished. And that was it. The resurrection proves once and for all that by the Father, Jesus was the beloved Son, and that also that he is the only one who can take us to heaven. The resurrection was God's public sign-off signature on that check that wrote all of our sins away once and for all. Friends, that is what the resurrection means to you. If you're not a Christian here today, the greatest truth you need to know is that nothing you have can save you from your sin. It is on Christ or Christ alone. We will go to our graves, Christians, believing that Jesus is God. If we don't, then we've missed the whole thing. The second thing the resurrection does for you, if you flip over to Romans chapter 4, just doing a survey here today, Romans 4, verse 25. That's page 942 in your pew Bible. Romans 4, 25 is this. It says, but... I'll actually go back to verse 24. It says, It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Look, death has once and for all been put to shame. Death has been solidified in Christ. When it says here that Christ is now our justification, what this is saying, what this is proving, is that now God has accepted the offering of Jesus once for all. God has taken our sin and put it on Jesus, and that's enough for God the Father. It's almost like this. If you can imagine being in a small country, and you have a big army coming at your border and all communication has been shut down they've they've completely taken out the electrical grid and we are asking these questions we are asking did our army win did they protect our borders or did they lose is 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 the enemy coming in is the enemy going to take us over friends that's the same question that the first century believers in christ asked when he died did jesus win Had death been defeated, or or are we just in the same predicament that we were before? Praise God that because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not only did he win the battle, but he won the war, he won every skirmish, he won every fistfight, he's won everything because the resurrection once and for all says to God the Father, yes, this one who believes in me, I'll now take into my kingdom. Friends, that should blow our minds. What was we, we who were once far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. No church can do that for you. No pastor can do that for you. No anything can do that for you, but only Christ can do that. What's another thing the resurrection proves? It proves that Jesus is Lord indeed. Acts chapter 2, if you want to flip over to Acts chapter 2, verse 34. Acts 2, 34. And the Bible says in Acts 2.34, that's on page 9.10 of the Pew Bible. It says, For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my footstool. Let all the house of Israel, Acts 2.36, Therefore know that God has made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this one whom you crucified. Friends, David was a great person. He was a great fighter. David was an amazing king, but David died. David died a death, and that's all that he had. David died a death that every one of us will live. But what Paul says here, I'm sorry, what Peter says here is that Christ has power over everything. Christ has power over the invisible, the visible, demons, man, angels, everything, because he resurrected from the dead. Do you know that most people's form of Jesus is just a little guy who they pray to, like a leprechaun they keep in their back pocket when things go wrong? Lord, I don't know what's going to happen, but I know if I rub this the right way, then my life will be a whole lot better. Friends, our God says hogwash with that. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Alpha, Omega, first and last, beginning and end. Why? Because he resurrected from the dead. That is our God. That's not a small God. That means you can go to him wherever you are. You can go to him whoever you are. God says, come just as you are, but he says, I won't let you stay as you are. He will change your life. The resurrection shows that Muhammad was just a man, 
It shows that Pope John Paul II and Pope Pius and Pope Benedict, with respect to their offices, are just men. It shows that Pastor Billy Graham in the Protestant circles is just a man. It shows that Pastor Darren is just a man. It shows that Mother Teresa was just a woman. The only one to have this happen to them, the only qualified one is the God-man Jesus who resurrected and is Lord of Lords. That is something you can take to every corner of the earth, and we are, because that is the truth. Finally, before we get to our evidence for sake of time, God will judge the world is what the resurrection proves. I would encourage you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 2. Psalm chapter 2 in the uh, Old Testament. Friends, the resurrection proves not only does God sign off on the public declaration that Jesus is his son, it not only shows that we are saved, we are justified, we're made right in God's eyes, it not only shows that Jesus is Lord, but it says that he will judge the world. Psalm chapter 2. And I'll start in verse 6. This is a prophecy of Jesus. Psalm 2, 6. That's on page 448 of your pew Bible. It says this. It says, Why do the nations rage? I'm sorry. It says, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Verse 7. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. And this is talking about Jesus. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Therefore, O kings, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Verse 11, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in your way. For his wrath is quickly kindled, but blessed are those who, re- who take refuge in him. Friends, this passage reminds us that our attempts to take over for God you can imagine Mount Everest, Mount Everest being at what, 28, 29,000 feet, it's way up there. If you can imagine Mount Everest being granite, the hardest metal we have or the, the most you know, strong metal we have, granite, our attempts to take over, our attempts to weed out this God, our attempts to overthrow his government would be like a mosquito. And aren't those coming out these days? It's getting warmer, those mosquitoes are coming. It'd be like a mosquito trying to go and break down that granite 28,000 Mount Everest is exactly how the picture is in Scripture of those who say that, God, I'm going to judge myself. You're not going to be my judge. Friends, the Bible is very clear that the resurrection proves that God himself laughs at that. Actually, if you go down uh, to uh, verse 4 of chapter 2, Psalm 2, it says, He sits in the heavens and laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Because of the resurrection, Christian, you have all hope that the greatest armies of this world, if, if, if North Korea lives up to its promise and makes this great missile and tries to shoot it God's way, he's going to laugh at them because Kim Young Sung, whatever his name is, has nothing on the resurrection Jesus. Friends, our mother of all bombs that we may have dropped has nothing on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No nuclear weapon that dropped on Japan. No army from Alexander the Great. No, uh, no vast army if you're an online gamer of World War III or Warcraft III. Nothing that you can bring to the table can ever overthrow the judge of judge and the king of kings because Christ resurrected from the dead. You take all those nukes, take all the technology we have, and you shoot it skyward or wherever God is, and you throw it at him, friends. He is just going to laugh because he holds all things in derision. He just laughs and says, you silly people. How crazy it is. But if Christ had not been resurrected, we have no hope for anything. We have no hope for anything. Friends, it is like that if you pull all these army people together like this picture will show, if all the armies come against you, you are safe until God gives them permission to touch you. Why? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And there's so much more we could go on. Friends, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want to remind you that the Bible says that God loves you so much, yes, but at the same time, he says that he's judging the world on a day that is coming. Do you know him today? Let's close with this. What evidences are there? Christian, you are not saved by these evidences, but when someone says, what evidence do you have? You need to be ready to answer them, 1 Peter 3.15. So what historical evidence is there that this God came down in Christ and resurrected? Well, first off, let me say this. 
that if you are anything of a studier, and, and we all are in our own ways, whether that's, whether that's with our hands or with our minds, that this is one of the most his, historical events that you could ever have. We believe in things like the Easter Bunny. There are people who literally have written doctoral dissertations on whether the Easter Bunny exists, and they got a PhD next to their name. That's why it's called Permanent Head Damage, PhD, <laughs> just like that. It's very, very true. You know it, I know it, and it's ludicrous. Let me give you at least seven reasons quickly, and I will be quick, why this resurrection, although spiritual first in nature, that's how it should always be presented, to the world is not illogical, it's not unhistorical, and it's not unfactual. First off was this. It was a predicted event. The Bible is full of of prophecies, and what a prophecy is, is just a foretelling of the future. 700 years before Christ came, Isaiah 53 predicted he would die and live and have everything happen to him just like it said it would happen. The Bible says in several places that Christ fulfilled the prophecy that he came to be. Luke 24, Psalm 22, Psalm 2. Nelson, you and I were having this conversation a couple weeks ago about all the Psalms. You can just go through the book of Psalms and read the Psalms that all point to Christ. The odds of that happening, as Josh McDowell has well said, is like taking a, a coin, one coin, a quarter, if you will, and marking a red X on it and stacking uh, quarters knee-high all through the state of Texas and then telling one person, I want you to find that one coin with the red X on it. You know what the odds of finding that would be? Astronomical. The fact that Jesus has fulfilled all these predicted events shows that there is something special about him. Even in Acts chapter 5, even uh, one of the priests said that if this is true, then this changes everything after they had beat Jesus. Second historical evidence that we have is the empty tomb. Guys, let's just be honest. Where's the body? Where is the body? If, if, If the Romans had been able to take this Jesus, and show forth the body, this would all have been dead. We may not even be here. The history, as we know it, would not be as it is. But they didn't produce it. And yes, they knew where the tomb was. It was one of their very own. It was Joseph of Arimathea. But one of the challenges is, you know, people get very creative when they can't disprove the resurrection. One theory is, is that cold air rushed into the tomb. And Jesus, after being pierced and beaten and declared dead, just suddenly went, whoa, hey, hello, good morning, America, here I am. That is absolute ludicrous. Friends, he was, the Romans were professional executioners. They could kill you if they wanted to, and they did. Another theory out there about the empty tomb is, well, maybe the disciples sold the body. Oh, yeah, really? Uh, I love our men here. We have some really tough men, but I don't think our tough men at our church could take over the Green Beret types of the Roman soldier guards. I'm sorry. Guys, I love you, and you're muscle-bound more than I'll ever be. Even, even the older guys here are, are like oxes, even at their age. But, friends, you're not going to take two groups of undisciplined fishermen from Galilee and overtake the most professional soldiers of the day. That's, that's ludicrous. Or maybe they went to the wrong tomb. You know, maybe the tomb was in that door, and they went, they went, through, went through door number one, and instead uh, it was in door number two. Maybe they got the wrong body. I, are, you, are you kidding me? Nicodemus, one of the priests in John chapter 3, was with them when they went there. That's not the truth at all. What about another historical evidence? How about the credible witnesses? Look, in history, you need to have sufficient numbers of witnesses, and you need to have integrity in those witnesses. The Bible says that over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ. Well, then the hippie PhD arguments start coming out. Well, Darren, maybe they were all on something when they saw the resurrected Jesus at the same time. You know, they're just, you know... They were having Woodstock back in, uh, in, in the early days. Do you see how ludicrous this gets? Friends, the odds of all of us having the same dream at the same time, even among two of us, is astronomical, let alone that 500 people, sufficient numbers of credible witnesses, would see the same thing. What about their integrity? They had no reason to do this. They had every reason to walk away from this, but they jumped headlong into this and said, we believe a guy came back from the dead and I saw him. They had nothing but credibility behind them. Even 2 Peter 1.16 says that uh, Peter wrote that we, we, we're not giving you fables or myths. John 1, 1 John 1 says we've touched him, we've seen him, we've heard him for those reasons. How about a lie without a motive? 
I mean, can you think about this? I don't, I don't know about you, but most people, when they live out something, you can, they can lie for a while, but you know how this is, especially if you're a parent, that lie grows and it grows and you forget what details you told this person, you forget what details you told that person and that person and that person. What happens to the lie? It falls down pretty quick. Friends, if they wanted a lie without a motive, then they would have to do something drastic. They did. The disciples and the apostles died poor, persecuted, and hated. They didn't have a Mercedes. They didn't have a private jet. They weren't enshrined in the hall of TV preachers in, 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 in Cancun somewhere. They were enshrined with their bones going to the death. Even Peter was executed upside down because he said, I'm unworthy to die the same death as my Lord. If they wanted to lie without a motive, why did they include shepherds? Shepherds were those guys, uh, you know, uh, I shared this illustration Friday night. Shepherds were those guys on New York City streets that open up their jackets and say, hey, you want to buy a watch? You want to buy a watch? You want to buy a watch? It's a real Rolex right here, $5, $5. That's what the shepherds were considered. They were considered lying, thieving people who had to live out in the wilderness with sheep because they couldn't get along with anyone else. Yet the Bible says they were the first to announce Jesus when he was born. Ladies, I love you. But back in the day, women were considered nothing more than not much. Property, yeah. Yet they were the first ones to testify, and God put them the first ones there. Why would you perpetuate a lie with shepherds and women, the two most outcast group of your day, if it wasn't true? Fifth, how about the transformation of the disciples? Why in the world before were they timid, fearful, and, and denied it, but afterwards they were courageous, willing to die for their faith? Something changed in them. And yes, yes, a secular argument is, well, Darren, that, that kind of is moot because if the disciples were transformed, can't you say that about a radicalized Muslim person? Well, to a degree. But it was never about dying for these disciples to get 70 virgins in heaven. It was willing to die because Christ gave his life for them, and that is all that they needed to know for life and godliness. What about the conversion of enemies? Have you ever thought about this? Friend, after Jesus died, James and Jude, his half-brothers, scoffed at him in Mark chapter 7. But after Jesus died and resurrected, when they wrote their letters, James and Jude, do you know how they identified themselves? Not as the half-brother of Jesus. That'd be convenient, wouldn't it? They described themselves as slaves of Jesus Christ. Now, for many of you who have younger brothers and sisters, that's a dream come true. Amen. You want them to be your slaves and do whatever you ask them to do. But what James and Jude realized is that it was no longer just their half-weird brother that made a fool of himself in front of Israel, that the person who made a fool of himself was actually the God come in the flesh, Jesus Christ, now the Lord, resurrected. What about Saul, the great mind who hated, gave permission to kill, yet he became a Christian? and all the priests that Acts records, and finally, the faith that continues around the world. Do you realize right now, red, yellow, black, white, South Korean, North Korean, Peruvian, by golly, I'm holding that hope for those scientists in Antarctica. There's got to be some Antarcticans that know Christ. Everywhere across, the church is made of people. It's not a political group. It's not an affinity group. It's not an economic group. It's not an academic group. We are Greek, slave, free, Jew, Japanese, Arab, American, whatever. We are all one in who? Christ, because he has been resurrected. If this was just a white power movement of the KKK back in the day, then friends, that would exclude most of the people in our church. Not most, but a good number. If this was just a movement of the crusades to make Christianity the known world through conquering things, then Christians would be all over the place. But the fact is, the world hates Christians. And so the gospel spread like wildfire over everywhere. And that shows that this is not just a political movement group. There's something greater. It's the resurrected Christ. The resurrected Christ. Friend, if you're here today, and I'm just going to put these up on the screen, Amy. We have about a minute and a half, and I'll put this down. Friend, if you're here today, what does this mean for you? So great historical evidences, but what does this mean for you? First off, as Amy will put up there, your personal history now doesn't determine your identity. Christ does. If you're here today and you say, Darren, I've done some wacked, wild stuff before. Oh, try Jesus. He's heard it all. But he still said, I love you this much. And I came back for that. Second thing you'll see up there that Amy will put up is your days are not determined by what sin you've committed in the past, but they are determined by the promises of God, which are yes and amen in Christ. 
Christian, that's good news for you too. Because some of you need to remember that it's the resurrected life that keeps you going. Many of you have so much pain in this world, but Christ, when he resurrected, not only took care of your sin, but he took care of the effects of that sin to a degree at which he says in me, you'll find all your fulfillment. Last slide. If you've done some crazy things in the past, I want you to see this number three. Nothing you could do, could make, perform, could bring to the table will ever help God love you more than he already loves you right now. Why? Because of the resurrection. Friends, some of us try so hard to outdo other Christians to the point at which it becomes the Christian Olympics. And guess what? Because Christ died, we all get the same medal. We all get the same gold medal, which is his death, burial, and resurrection. And it's not anything we did. It's all what Christ did. And equally, Christ could not love you any less. Praise God for that. Many of you are walking around with guilt that has hid you for so long. And I want to tell you, first off, Christ didn't come just to rid you of guilt. He came to save you from the wrath of God. But a byproduct of that salvation is that you would know that in him you are complete. Throw away popularity. Throw away, if I post this, how many Facebook likes will I get today? Throw away, if I just get this right job, marry the right person, have this thing, then my life will be pretty good. Throw away all the stuff you have and know this. Christ died for your sin and he is Will you bow your heads with me today? Father, as often as this uh, lowly preacher often does, we bite off more than we can chew. But Father, as we ask those questions today, why is the resurrection important? What is our caution? What does it prove? And what historical evidences are there? Father, I pray that you use some or part of that to speak to a life today. Father, I thank you that our faith is not just a fairy tale uh, old wives tale father uh, a story so big that uh, even the biggest fiction book couldn't capture but father it is it's truth and it changes everything father it changes how we view one another in the church I pray for our church that we would love one another because Christ resurrected we will spend the same time with brothers and sisters forever and ever Father, it changes how we see eternity that without Christ, we have no hope. But with Christ, we have a guarantee that if we trust in him, we will be saved. Father, it changes for all our non-Christian friends here today exactly what they're trusting in in this life. It throws away works. It throws away baptism. It throws away all the things we could try to do to satisfy what only your son could satisfy. Father, I pray today that you would speak to hearts. Father, but most of all, as we go, we have our, our, our fun with family, I'm sure, Easter egg hunts and, and Royals games and all the things that they are. Father, may we be reminded that it was your supernatural work working in our hearts that brought us to Christ. What a joy that is. Father, it is you and you alone. That's no gimmick. That's no uh, game. That's no whatever. That's no glitter. Father, it's just real love given to us in the greatest love shown, Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, thank you that your son is risen. He is risen indeed. We pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said.